a camping trip sometimes become stressful? Are you tempted to just settle for an evening around your neighbor's fire pit? You are not alone. On today's show, I'm giving you a set of tips that I have honed over the years that make camping trips, whether just a weekend or weeks away at a time, easier to manage. Stay tuned. Hello, my name is Janine Pettit and I'm a girl camper. I go places and do things with other adventurous and curious women. We camp like girls in tents, vans, travel trailers, motorhomes, and even cars. We travel solo and in groups to girl camping gatherings, large and small, to bucket list destinations with friends, or on our own to wherever the wind blows us. On this show, we'll talk about the qualities of a girl camper and how you can be a girl camper too. The girl campers are having a party and you're invited. Stay tuned while we share what's happening on the back roads of America the Beautiful. The Girl Camper Podcast is brought to you by our consortium of girl camper friendly RV dealerships. General RV with 13 locations in the U.S., Setzer's World of Camping in Huntington, West Virginia, and Bankston Motorhomes with three locations in Alabama and two in Tennessee. Also providing support and sponsorship for Girl Camper is Campco Manufacturing, makers of over 4,000 products for your RV, boat, and tailgating needs. And GoRVing.com, home base for everything you need to get started RVing. And of course, our friends at Liberty Outdoors, makers of the Max and Mini RVs. Welcome, I'm Janine Pettit, girl camping ambassador, blogger, adventurist, and podcaster. And this is episode 178 of Girl Camper, the podcast. Before we head into our featured topic today, I have some big news. I am happy to welcome our new podcast sponsor, our friends at Go RVing. They do so much to provide inspiration and tools to those who want to hit the open road, and it is personally thrilling for me to have them as a sponsor on the podcast. I have been a Go RVing ambassador for about five years now, and I love everything they do to help all of us get out there. Right now, they are kicking off camping season. It's the time of year for rock skipping and day hiking and stargazing and campfires and cookouts. It's summer, and Go RVing wants you to make the most of your getaways with the comfort and convenience of an RV. Why not? Whether you're looking to explore new destinations, increase your comfort level, escape the city with ease, or simply set up and sit a while around the campfire, there's an RV perfect for your unique travel goals. So go over to GoRVing.com, check out their latest and greatest models. The open road is calling you, so go ahead, go RVing. Today, we're chatting about being a happy camper. As we speak, I have just come in from readying the camper for a weekend trip 
all week long, I do little things to make my weekend getaway a little simpler and less stressful. And I shared a lot of these tips and tricks um, on an episode called Simplifying Weekend Getaways. That was episode 106, 70 something episodes ago. And I'm gonna put a link in this blog post for that so you can go back and listen to that. But today I'm considering some of the other stressors that can make us just wanna cancel and sit at home in our backyard. I've got some strategies that are gonna help you become a happy camper. Often the difference between getting out the door with a smile on your face or getting in the car with a rising stress level is just a little smart planning. They say to succeed at anything, you need to make a plan and then work the plan. Well, today I wanna go over a few of the things that can be planned ahead of time and that take some of that anxiety out of hitting the road away from you. So the very first thing I wanna talk about is planning your campsite. It seems like a no brainer though, but I am surprised by the number of people that hit the road to get to spots in state and national parks that offer these first come first served campsites. They have this at Yellowstone in many of the national parks and people are literally lined up at 4 a.m. at the opening for that campground to try to get a spot. So being anywhere at 4 a.m. doesn't sound like fun to me. That sounds stressful because to be there at four, it means you were up at three or even earlier. And then what happens if you don't get one? You're stuck there, you got all your equipment and then you gotta drive far away someplace else. So today I was speaking to a full-timing friend of mine who just told me that she's wandering around upstate New York and has had a really hard time finding available sites at their state parks. And she was really surprised by this because there's a lot of camping available up there and she's willing to camp without hookups. So she's not looking for any dream site. She's just looking for a place to back in. So each campground that she was able to find a site at was only available for two or three days at a time. And then she's had to move on to another site. And that's basically because somebody just canceled. So here we are, it's the height of camping season and you can't even go to some of the more remote campgrounds without a reservation. You really can't take anything for granted here. So I say at least at the head of the season, the height of the season like we're at now, always make sure you have a reservation. So some tips for making reservations before you make the reservation. Look online and read all of the campground reviews. Check out the number of reviews compared to the rating too. So sometimes I look at something and I go, oh wow, look at this. It's got a five star rating. And then I see it's five stars out of three. So it could be three cousins that wrote that in. So I don't count that when it says that. So check multiple sources when you're looking for reviews on a campground. There are so many apps that have reviews and you can also ask for reviews in your online camping communities or maybe you belong to an RV group. Maybe you belong to the R-Potters or the Max owners or the, um, the Airstreamers. Whatever kind of RV you have usually has a group that goes along with it. So get on there and ask people if they've heard of a specific campground and what they thought about it. 
Also, go to the campground's website and study the map of the campground layout. If you're camping without hookups and you want to be close to the shower house, this is a good way of seeing how far away that would be. Maybe you're camping without kids and you don't want to sit nearby the playground. So after you've studied that map and kind of scouted out where you might want to be, it's still always a great practice to call the reservation desk. Speak to someone that works there full time and who takes the reservation and is really familiar with that campground. Ask them up front for their recommendation. Ask them to tell you what that site is that everybody always calls in and wants to get. What's their most requested site? Find out if it's available. Even if that is available now, don't take that for granted to mean that it's going to be the perfect site for you. Ask them, why does everybody like this site? If they say people like it because it's close to the pool, but your plan is to have a relaxing day in the shade with a good book, you might not want to sit there all week at listening to a chorus of Marco Polo. Maybe you want to just tell them what it is your vision of your weekend is and ask them to put you in a spot where you can be shady and breezy and kid free. <laughs> I don't want to pick on kids. That sounds awful. But when I am home, I am listening to neighbors on both sides of me, left and right, that have young kids and swimming pools. So all day long, I listen to kids playing in pools. So when I'm away, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> no, sorry, kids, I'm not picking on you. Okay, also, I always like to do this. You can go to Google and Google a specific campground and a site number. Now, a lot of private campgrounds actually put a photograph of the individual sites on their website, but state parks don't usually do that kind of thing. But a lot of times, really savvy campers will go on, online and they'll leave a review and they will post a picture of a campsite. Can't tell you how many times I've gone on and just posted, you know, Camp Taylor Campground, Site 63, and you'll find it. So do a little due diligence before you book. And that helps make sure that once you get there, there's going to be no big surprises or at least maybe just little surprises, not anything that's going to ruin your weekend. Okay, another thing you should plan ahead is your clothing. So I now keep rain gear, extra socks, warm and cold weather clothing in my RV all the time. I want them there just in case. Ask me why. Okay, I'll tell you. So last year when I did my five-week trip to Texas, I normally have all these things in my trailer, but I had just gotten my little mini Max that I was taking last year and it was considerably smaller in terms of storage space. And I was going to be gone for five weeks and I had a lot of stuff in my truck. But in my mind, I'm going, it's spring in Texas, right? I knew the weather would be extreme in terms of raining because it could be tornadoes in Texas one minute and gorgeous in 89 the next day. So I knew that extremes in weather are the norm for that kind of year, time of year. So in my mind, I'm like, all right, I'm going to have to have a hoodie in case it gets cold at night. And I threw in my lightweight long down jacket in the back of my truck. Literally, when I was pulling out the door, I went back in the house to get something. I saw it hanging there on the hook in our mudroom. And I thought, 
Let me just take this thing, mainly because I, I stuff it all in the sleeve and I use it as a rest, as a pillow at rest up. It actually fits really nicely in the nape of your neck and you can just roll your chair back and put that in there. So I just thought, I'll just throw this in my car, I'll have it. Well, little did I know, okay, I, I wasn't expecting really cold weather. Uh, I knew I was going to be boondocking, but in my mind, I knew I have a heater that works off propane, and I had my Betty's bed, and I only had one other very light blanket. Well, when I got to Texas, and I got all set up in a field at the Junk Gypsy headquarters, my heater wasn't working. I had a full propane tank, but this is something I learned. Your heater is not going to light, even if you have full propane tank, unless you have the battery to keep igniting it. So it has an electric starter that goes off that battery, and I had a bad battery, and I didn't realize that. It took me several days of troubleshooting to figure out why the heater wouldn't go on. In the meantime, I was absolutely freezing, and it was dropping down to the low 40s each night. So I was sleeping in two pair of leggings, my shirt. Thank God I had that hoodie. I had a hoodie on and the hood on my jacket on. My fingertips and my nose and my face were so cold. I could see my breath in the air inside my camper. And it was one of those situations where it was really like 40 something degrees inside the camper. So I couldn't get warm. Like in a tent, you could actually get warm easier than you could in a camper that size. If you were in a small tent, you would have warmed up. But I can't exhale enough carbon monoxide to heat up that whole camper. I was absolutely freezing. And I was having one of those dilemmas, like I'm a little bit warmer now than I was like a half an hour ago. So should I get out from under these covers and lose all the heat I've generated by trying to find more things to put on me, put more clothes on me? I finally did get up, do some jumping jacks, uh, move around my trailer, do some squats, put more clothes on. And in my little um, first aid kit, I had some of those hand warmers that you snap open the charcoal things. So I had four of them and I opened all of them and I put two on my legs and I put one on my stomach and I put one on my chest and I finally, finally fell asleep. So I really was completely unprepared clothes-wise for that trip. So now, I'm a good Girl Scout, I always keep a raincoat, rain boots, wool socks, a hoodie. I always have the thermal underwear, my long johns and an undershirt. I use under armor. Um, I always have the quick dry hiking clothes. I keep a pair of Duluth trading pants. They're really my favorite. They dry super quick. They can zip off too and become a pair of shorts. I always have an extra pair of jammies. I have a bathing suit and a cover-up that just stay in the camper all the time in case I go someplace and decide to get in the pool or they have a good uh, creek or swimming hole or something like that. And I always have an old blanket. It's kind of half of a blanket and it's a fun thing to wrap around you at the campfire. So it's a really good idea to plan out your clothing, not just for the weekend, but for camping. So have camping clothing in your camper and be prepared for the fact that the weather is always changeable. Okay, we're going to come back in a minute, but first I have a message from my friends at Campco. Hang on. Campco Manufacturing, they're makers of over 4,000 products for RVing, boating, tailgating, grilling, things for having fun. Campco makes a great camping starter kit for those outfitting their first RV. 
There were so many women this week who posted, A, that they backed their trailer in all by themselves for the first time. Shout out to them. And a couple of people who got their new trailers. Uh, people who had been looking for a long time. I want to do a particular shout out to Diane Rivard from our Girl Camper page. Diane got her brand new Max this week. Congratulations, Diane. I am so excited for you. And you are going to need everything that is in our Camco kit. So Camco makes this starter kit and it's a big five gallon bucket which you can use for so many things and it has your basic starting kit for RVers. It has the drop-ins for your toilet tank. It has a 20 foot standard sewer hose with all the attachments on it so you can do your dumping. It has the RV straight hose adapter. You want to get that when you hook up to the hose at the campground. Disposable gloves, the RV toilet tissue, a stainless steel hose clamp. It has the 15 to 30 amp uh, power grip adapter. It has the 25 foot drinking water hose. It has stuff that you can wash and wax your RV with in a sponge a plastic water pressure regulator, and it has the levels to tell you if your camper is level. So you put one on the front and one on the side, and you can go look at them and tells you if your camper is all square there. This whole kit comes in this big, like five gallon bucket, and it costs $53, which is really an incredible bargain, because if you priced out each one of these things individually, it is way more than that. So thanks, Campco, for putting this kit together. You guys really think of everything there. We'll be back in a minute. Okay, everybody, we're going to move on about more things that we can plan ahead to make sure that our downtime is truly rejuvenating. So in addition to planning out your clothing, it's really helpful to plan your food out ahead of time. I really enjoy meals at the campground. I, I enjoy them so much more than at home, probably because I'm just more relaxed. It doesn't feel like a chore when I'm camping at the campground. When I'm at home, it's like, what's for dinner? What's for dinner? Let me get something on and let me get it cleaned up. When I'm camping, oh, suddenly food seems like such a fun thing. It's such a big part of the camping experience. And it becomes a little bit of a problem for me because I'll get this idea during the week for a great meal. And then I want everything around that meal to be perfect. It's no longer just about the entree, like what's for dinner. It's about side dishes. It's about a complimentary cocktail. I start imagining the table setting. All of a sudden, it can start to feel like an episode in a reality show <laughs> instead of just dinner at the campground. And I, I, I have a very magazine mind. Like I always, I love beauty and I want things to be pretty. So the reality is though, I don't want to run around and do all this stuff in order to make that happen. If it works out, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. So I have had to teach myself to bridge that gap from the ideal to the reality. So. Ideally, I'd really like that grass-fed, hormone-free beef from that local farm 10 miles south of me that's only open on Wednesdays from 1 to 1.30. But the chances of me getting there during the week are usually pretty slim. So now here are a few things that I have done over the years to simplify food for me. So one, I now bring things that I've made ahead of time and frozen. So if ideal doesn't happen, I still have a good meal. 
if ideal does happen and I find some really great local restaurant or something like that and I want to try that or I come across some place that has some great you know, like a farm stand that happens to have organic beef on the side or something like that I still have that meal in the freezer if I don't use it I take it home and I put it back in my freezer there is nothing that is being wasted Another thing I've done for a couple of years now is I always have some staples in the RV pantry and that's just for when getting there itself is the accomplishment. I have learned to have this RV pantry filled with things that I can make and love. If I get there and it's cold and it's rainy or I got a late start and I get there and now I just don't feel like some kind of big meal, I have this pantry full of non-perishable things. It's my backup plan and it's so much better than eating the rest of your sandwich that's left over from lunch that's been sitting on the passenger seat in the sun all afternoon. So it's a good thing. One of the things that I just love to make when I am in my camper <laughs> I, I, I hope my mother isn't listening because my mother has never used a can of Campbell's cream of anything in her entire life. She is a from scratch cook. But I maybe because we never got this as kids, it's why I love it. Campbell's cream of anything. I don't care what it is. Cream of celery, cream of chicken, cream of mushroom. Throw that in with a pack, uh, pack of ramen noodles, some leftover chicken and a can of corn. And that is camp food let me tell you eating that out of a big tin cup around the campfire it's awesome <laughs> i know it's not healthy but you're not eating it every single day another thing that i keep in my camper is this i wish i could remember the name of the brand i only know what store i get it at it's a high-end brand of organic butternut squash soup it really really tastes homemade it's expensive because it's literally a single serving but it's not expensive when you think it's your meal. So it's $6 seems like a lot for a little box of soup, but $6 is not a lot for dinner. So I buy one of those. I keep a couple of them in my pantry all the time. They're, they're good for a very long time. And if I think ahead and I threw some sour cream in the fridge and a wedge of toasted bread or Italian bread sticks, that is really a meal I can savor. So I am not sweating this whole food thing. The other thing I have taught myself is not to count on being able to find the foods that you want when you arrive. So if I really, really want something specific to eat, I make sure I bring it with me. Um, the other thing that I really love to do around food, and this is a plan ahead kind of thing, especially when I'm traveling by myself. So when I'm traveling all alone or I'm going to make an overnight stop, so say I'm you know, I'm on my way to Indiana, but I'm going to stay overnight somewhere in western Pennsylvania just for one night. I plan a special meal for that arrival night for me. Being on a solo trip is a great time to indulge yourself in a treat. So if your grocery store has a frozen lobster tail or a bacon wrapped filet, it's a great time to treat yourself to something. Okay, so another thing that I have learned to plan ahead is what I am going to do when I get there. I used to go to new places, and, and one of the places that I'm thinking of, I, I remember this trip so well. We went up to Wellsboro, Pennsylvania, which is a really fun place to camp. It's um, the second darkest skies on the East Coast, so it's a great place to go when you want to go stargazing and 
counting shooting stars when the campfire goes out at night the skies are black up there so we were going up there and all i was thinking about is the fact that it was the stargazing but really there were so many other things to do up there but i just got up there and was finding out about these things i had no plan so i spent half of my day saturday trying to figure out what i wanted to do instead of knowing ahead of time there's a great railroad museum up there with a really interesting history but i didn't find out about it till too late it's it's just a trip I have to do a do-over on because that was so fun up there. So plan what you're going to do before you get there. Research the tourist destinations and plan what you want to do over the time you're there. Be sure to call and make sure that what it says online about the hours and prices matches what the actual cost and schedule is because I have run into this so many times. I lured my poor husband to Ohio with me when he really didn't want to come because I promised him that I would go to the Lou Holtz Museum with him. I think Lou Holtz is an athlete. I don't I don't know. My husband seemed to know when he wanted to go. Anyway, so we drove all the way out there and on Saturday we drove over to the Lou Holtz Museum, the thing I promised my husband only to discover that it is only open during the week. Oops. So anyway, Find out those things ahead of time. Reach out to the um, CVB near the campground and find out if there's something special going on in or around while you're there. It's also a great place to get discount coupons. Another fun thing to do is just Google what's going on in Wellsboro, Pennsylvania or wherever it is you're going. You're going to find so much information there. You're not even going to know what to do with it all. And there's bound to be something intriguing there for you. So when you look into your options ahead of time, you also get to create a timeline. You can figure out your costs, your parking, your travel, your times, and the feasibility of it all. You're really not going to be able to do it all. So you can look at, uh, ahead online and figure out what looks like the most fun to you. Okay, moving on on things we can plan. Plan your budget. So going over budget on vacation is one sure way to make you an unhappy camper. When it comes to vacation planning, there are things that you control and there are things that you simply can't. So start by being realistic about what the actual costs for something are going to be, especially if it's a big, long, multi-week vacation. You really want to you know, get an idea of what it's going to cost before you go. So things that you can budget for, the cost of getting there gas and tolls. So this is kind of partially controllable. We'll talk about that in a minute. The cost of staying there, again, partially controllable because you have a choice about where you stay. Food, completely controllable. Um, tourist things, kayak rental, fishing license, museum fees, not controllable at all. You can just control whether you go or not, but you can't control the cost of them. And then like purchases that you make, souvenirs and stuff like that. So let's talk about the cost of getting there. There are so many apps that will pretty closely estimate the cost of gas. Not tolls, but gas. Gas is going to go up and down by a few cents, but you can really get a general idea of what that's going to cost before you go. Now, in most cases, you can control whether you choose a toll road or not. I've looked around about these apps. There's not a lot of apps that you can use to help you with the tolls. It's surprising to me that um, Waze and Google Maps, they don't do a toll cost thing on those um, apps. 
But there is an app called Toll Guru, and that will calculate your gas and tolls and give you the cost of the fastest and shortest route, as well as what it costs to go on the no toll route um, uh, routes. And so you can compare the two. Now, there is a major complaint from people about this app, and that is it costs money to buy the app, but then apparently when you use the app, Every time you ask it for a calculation, it charges you a fee. So maybe that's not something for you. If you wanted to do it one time for a big trip, you know, to get an, an accurate idea of what a toll costs, that might be worth it. Um, most states do have their own toll and turnpike websites. So you can go on there and that's free. So that's just your time. It's something you can do ahead of time. And overall, it's going to save you time and money and aggravation. I read a blog post online this morning, or not a blog post, but um, a comment somebody put on one of the Facebook groups, and he was complaining because he was pulling his RV on a section of toll road in Oklahoma. I believe he said it was Route 44, and for this section of the toll road with the trailer, the toll fee was $24. If you're going cross-country, tolls like that can really, really add up. So when I am coming home from a trip, it costs me an additional $7 to cross the Delaware Memorial Bridge. It's normally $5, but when I'm pulling my camper, I have to pay $12. But once I cross that bridge and I'm in New Jersey, I have two choices. I can go north on 295 or I can get on the Pencil or the New Jersey Turnpike. Those two roads, oddly enough, run parallel from South Jersey right up to my town in central New Jersey. One's free and one is not. So you can save a little money by studying your map. Okay, another controllable cost for you is your campsite. So a state park versus an RV resort park is going to be a big price difference. I just booked a three-night stay at an RV park in um, upstate New York, and it's going to cost me $60 a night, which I think is really high. But I'm meeting friends there after I leave a state park that I'm going to be at prior to that that I'm paying $18 a night for. So the way my math works, Girl Camper Math, I just average those and figure out what I'm paying per night. So it's $40 a night instead of $60. So you can control what kind of RV park that you choose. Once you have established those set costs ahead of time, you can play with your budget then and decide what kind of tourist things you want to do. So if you're going to rent a kayak or go tubing or zip lining or the museum entrance fees, those things are usually listed online and you can find a Groupon for them. And then you can really have an idea of what your budget is before you go there. Okay, I want to move on to talking about planning your route. So this is interesting to me because it's not just the cost of the gas and tolls when planning your route. Some of the things that trip us up and make us anxious and make getting there stressful is the actual route that you're going to take. So some things to consider when you're planning your route. Consider the volume of traffic. Consider the time of day. Consider the conditions of the road. Look at whether there is construction that you may want to avoid. All of these things, when unplanned for and unknown to you until you get there, come as a big surprise. So if you're looking at the map and it's saying, okay, 
it's a two and a half hour ride from from where I live in New Jersey to this campground in Connecticut. I know there's no way on God's green earth you're getting there in two and a half hours on a Friday afternoon. I know that the bridges are going to be packed. I know that I never drive in Connecticut without tons of construction. It's just going to be bumper to bumper. So it doesn't matter what MapQuest says. It's not going to work out that way. But I know that ahead of time. I'm not planning on that. So I'm picking my route. And sometimes a route that is longer is sometimes less stressful. For me here, I will get on the Tappan Zee Bridge out of my way to go into New England to avoid the whole city thing, the traffic there and the congestion coming out of the city on a weekend. Everybody's trying to get out of the city on the weekend. So I'll go up upstate New York on the thruway and I'll cut over into Massachusetts. It says on a map that it's 45 miles longer, but I usually get there hours faster. So think about those things when you're planning your trip. Also, have the mindset that when you leave your driveway, that is when your vacation is starting. Try to be in the mindset that I'm on vacation now. With each mile you drive, let the stresses of the week that you just went through fall behind you. Use that travel time to begin unwinding. The first thing you have to do is have that mindset. Like, I know I'm going to be in traffic. I know it's going to take me a long time to get there. I'm not going to sit there drumming my fingers on the steering wheel. I'm going to enjoy this time no matter how long it takes. So a couple of things I like to do in the car is if I know I'm in for a long ride, I schedule a phone call with a friend. I'll text somebody, my friend Dale in Pennsylvania. I'll text her and say, hey, I'm going to be driving Friday night to have time for a phone call. And she'll say, yeah, what time should I call you? And we may spend an hour and an hour and a half on the phone. And and I'm not letting the traffic bother me. I'm catching up with a friend. I'm having a great time. I'll call my mom. I'll call my aunt. And I get some time in. Another thing that you can do is listen to an audible book that everyone's talking about and you don't have any time to read. All of the girls have been talking about some book about wild crickets and I have not I have not even bought the book yet. I'm going to get it on Audible because I do not have time to read books at home, but I have car time. So get a book on Audible and listen to it on your trip. Another thing I really love to do is download some new tunes to your playlist and then you can tap away on your steering wheel all the way to your destination or you can do all three. Okay, so the last thing I want to talk about is working off of a checklist. So I'm not referring to the safety checklist that you go through when you're hitching up. Of course, you should have that. I'm talking about this idea. Like I have this idea for a meal. I got to write down those ingredients during the week. I'm going to put a line through these things. I'm going to start walking out to my camper and putting gear in there. If it looks like rain, I'm going to make sure that my raincoat is in there and that I didn't bring it in for some reason. So start checking those things off that list. So the quicker you get those things done and the more things you get done during the week, the easier your getaway day is going to be. The last thing I want to say about this is to let it go. So whatever seems to be an obstacle to getting there, 
in a good frame of mind, you're just going to have to let go of. So sometimes we have this idea that we want something that's going to make our weekend so special. Maybe we saw a recipe on the Food Network during the week and we want to get that bottle of vanilla fused, infused vodka so we can make that special cocktail we've been waiting to try or make the homemade organic marshmallow so your s'mores can just be supreme s'mores. If the necessity in your head of getting these things is tripping you up, don't get them. I mean, just, just <laughs> sometimes it's stupid little things like this that can be the tipping point between having a happy weekend and arriving all stressed out. So like they say in the movie Frozen, let it go. All right, well, those are my tips for this week, everybody. I hope everybody's out. The heat, the heat is really, it's brutal here in in, um, in the Northeast, and I know it is in a lot of other places too, so I hope you're staying cool when you're camping. It's been great chatting with you today. I hope everybody has a happy week. I want to thank our friends from General RV for coming on and sponsoring the Girl Camper Podcast. General RV is one of the uh, nation's largest family-owned RV dealerships. They have 13 locations now, a massive, and I do mean massive, inventory, 5,000 RVs, 500 fully equipped service space. Every time I see that number, I think it's a typo, but it isn't. 500 service space in their 13 locations. It's really hard to imagine that all of this grew from a service station in Detroit, but that's how this still family-owned business began way back in 1953. And their sustained growth has been fueled by a commitment to provide world-class service to their customers. They are constantly upping the ante on themselves. General RV has 13 superstores with locations in six in Michigan, two in Florida, one in Ohio, Utah, Illinois, Virginia, General RV, the nation's largest family-owned RV dealership. I also want to thank our friends at Bankston Motorhomes in Alabama and Tennessee, Setzer's World of Camping in Huntington, West Virginia. Our friends at Go RVing, GoRVing.com. Get over there and find the RV that is right for you. And, of course, our friends at Campco and Liberty Outdoors. That's a wrap, everybody. Have a great week. Happy trails.